Um, so John chapter 10 is where we are, and we like to just go verse by verse uh, through the Scriptures. And so um, I'm, I'm excited about this one. This one's a famous passage, a, a massive text. It's, it's the Good Shepherd uh, verses here where Jesus claims that I am the Good Shepherd. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read it, the first 21 verses, and then we'll pray again over our time in the Word and, uh, and just unpack it together. Okay, are you ready? You have your Bible? You ready? Here we go, John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among them, among the Jews, because of These words, many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you that, um, God, you've, you've just brought us together like a flock in a sheepfold today. And uh, I thank you that um, we get to call you our good shepherd, that we get to follow you and, and, and know you and be cared for by you, God. And I just pray that today the reality of uh, the relationship that we can have with the good shepherd would just set in on us and that we'd lean in and that we would uh, hear from you and that you'd give us ears to hear, that we'd be able to understand what you're saying. And, and I just pray that we'd leave here um, with knowing you and an ear attentive to the shepherd's voice so uh, that we can be led by you, God. So, Father, I pray that you just guide my speech today and use me. I need you. 
God, I can do nothing. I can do nothing apart from you. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the good shepherd. Um, Jesus says all this about being a good shepherd and having a flock and a sheepfold and being the door of the good shepherd and all of that. But why? And he's kind of contrasting himself with these bad shepherds or these thieves and robbers and wolves and all of that. So why is he saying these things? What, what brought him to this place where he's uh, unpacking all this about shepherding sheep? Um, well, if we remember back to chapter 9, I mean, we kind of get a reference to it at the end of this uh, section where uh, it says, man, these are not the words who are oppressed by a demon. Can a, a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it connects it back to the last scene where Jesus opens the eyes of this blind man who was born blind. He opens his eyes and then the guy goes into the synagogue and, um, and the religious leaders are like, what happened? You can't be healed on the Sabbath. And they get all disturbed and they try to make him like recant Jesus. Just tell us that Jesus is a sinner. Just tell us that he is crazy. And he's like, no, no, no. He won't deny Christ. And so they cast him out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him, which would have been a, a severe uh, social uh, damage you know, to, to your reputation, that you got cast out of your religious community. So they put him out there, and then Jesus goes and finds him. And, and saves him and says, well, well, you can come into my flock. And um, the Old Testament describes how God uh, kind of uh, placed religious leaders over his people to shepherd them and to care for them. But instead, what happened was these religious leaders then use their position and their power for their own personal gain. And they cared nothing for the sheep which they were charged to care for. And so they were using it to just gain status and to gain wealth and to gain popularity and to gain you know, their own thing. Now, now we know nothing of someone who might be in a position of authority and... Uh, but then uses that authority to take advantage of the very people they're charged to care for. We, 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 I don't think you could probably think of any examples, but maybe use your imagination for a bit. Somebody in authority using their power to manipulate and to gain personal status. I mean, it's everywhere. I don't have to say a name because you probably all have different names in your mind of someone who has abused their leadership. They're charged with caring, and they actually use it for personal gain. So Jesus here, he's contrasting himself with these bad shepherds, with these religious leaders, and at the same time, he's claiming to be the Messiah. Because you see that the Messiah, uh, the, the Messiah was um, prophesied to be a good shepherd. Uh, we see this in Ezekiel 34. I'm just going to flip there for a moment to reference this. Ezekiel 34 Verse 22 says, I will rescue my flock, speaking of his people, they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now you might say, oh, hold on pastor, he just said that that's going to be David. He's talking about David there. 
Yeah, well, the problem is, at this point, when this was written, David had been dead for a long time. So this passage is understood that he's not talking about actually King David in the Old Testament. He's talking about the Messiah in the line of King David will be the shepherd, the one good shepherd of the people of God. And so he's contrasting himself with bad leadership and he's claiming to be the Messiah. The point of this passage really is that Jesus cares for his people. But how does he care for his people? Three points here. How does he care for his people? The first thing is that he guides, the good shepherd guides us. The good shepherd guides us. Let's just go back to verse 1. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So he uses all this shepherd and sheep language. Let me just ask you, how many of you in the room are shepherds? Anyone in here a shepherd? Does anyone in here maybe know a shepherd? Do you know a shepherd? Yeah, me either. Me either. So what do we do with this? Like, I've read about it. I've learned some things about shepherds and sheep and how they care. But the reality is, for them, this was all in their culture. That many of them could have said, yeah, I know a shepherd. I'm neighbors with a shepherd. I, I, my, friend, my cousin's a shepherd. Like, they would have known exactly what he was saying. But for us, we're kind of a little removed from the whole figure of speech that he uses about sheep and shepherds. And so we got to like, do a little extra work here. And so when he says, um, the sheepfold. Man, the sheepfold by the door. The sheepfold um, is really like, a, like we would just say a sheep pen. Okay, and so in uh, the, the shepherds, they would go into the village and they would have these sheepfolds built out of stone. Here's a picture of uh, maybe an illustration of one. They would, inside kind of the village, more closer to town, they'd have these sheep pens here, these sheepfolds made out of stone. They'd be somewhat tall, four or five feet. Uh, sometimes they put thorns and such on the, on the uh, top of it, kind of like barbed wire to keep predators and thieves out and at night they would bring the sheep into the sheepfold to protect them from the elements keep them from wandering at night all of that stuff here's another one there's an actual picture of one so you see it's just stones kind of laid up on each other there's one door there you notice there's there's no door actually on there we'll get to that here's so in the wilderness though when they take them out and they were in the wilderness far from town far from one of these kind of permanent sheepfolds they would build them out of sticks. So here's another one kind of built out of sticks. Um, they'd build these things. This one's really nice. Um, what they probably looked like in the wilderness when you're away from town for a long time was like this next one, which, which is like that. And so this is, would be a little bit smaller. They'd, they'd build this circle. They'd put all types of briars and sticks pointing. The point is, I want to get the sheep in here at night to keep them safe and... Uh, and that's the sheepfold. All right, so now we're on the same page of what a sheepfold is. So what he's saying here is, is um, the, these, you know, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So the sheepfold would be the, the people of God. These are his, this is his flock. And these Thieves and robbers are people who come in another way. These are people who are not called by God. 
So the shepherds of God's people, they were called and appointed by God. But he's saying there's shepherds among you who are thieves and robbers. They actually weren't called by God to this position. They've just climbed in other ways. They knew somebody who knew somebody. They, they bribed somebody to get that position. They, they really didn't legitimately gain this position because God called them to. They got in another way, and we need to be careful about them. But um, to him, verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So he leads them out, he goes before them, and they follow him. The the main point here, if we go back to point one, is that he guides us. That he guides us. He leads us, you see that? He leads us out, we follow Him, but the word guide that I used here, I just did that to help you remember, you know, alliteration helps us, all the points today are going to have a G in them. I used that for you to help you remember, but the word guide doesn't really capture the full meaning, I think, of what I'm trying to communicate, because when we think of guide, we think of someone who's, you know, takes you around and is kind of pointing you in the right direction and gives you some interesting tips about things, kind of like a tour guide. Like, a tour guide doesn't really have any authority over your life, they just kind of point you in the right direction. And that's not what I'm saying about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just kind of point us into a direction of a good life and then kind of gets out of the way and lets you do whatever you want to do. It's not that kind of guide. Really, the point I'm trying to communicate is that he's, he's a leader. He's the boss. He's the owner. He's the one in charge. I think what we miss whenever we talk about how Jesus is our shepherd. We miss the fact that if he's the shepherd, it means that he owns the sheep. If he's the shepherd, it means that we're not the shepherd. We're not in charge. He guides us. He leads us, which means that I'm not the leader of my life. So how do you know if Jesus is your shepherd? Well, you're not your shepherd. (laughs) That's how you know. When is the last time you said no to yourself for the sake of obedience to Christ? When's the last time you've inconvenienced yourself for the sake of the kingdom of God? Because in our Christian culture, what we've, we've, we've turned in pursuing our dreams into pursuing God's will. And we think, as long as I'm pursuing what I feel is best for my life, what will fulfill me and satisfy me, as long as I'm pursuing that, then that's kind of God's will for my life. But the difficulty is that Jesus said things like, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That following Jesus, calling Jesus your shepherd is essentially saying, I'm not my shepherd. I am, he's my owner. I'm not my owner. He's my leader. I'm not my leader. And what it would cause me to do is actually follow him into places that I wouldn't go on my own will. 
If Jesus is your shepherd and leader, you aren't. Notice, it says that he goes before them. You, you can uh, take that sheepfold off. I appreciate you putting that up there. But he says, uh, he goes before them. And he leads them out of uh, the sheepfold. Um, you know, that's what a leader does. It kind of goes before. I remember we, I had a youth pastor. When I was in high school, I had a youth pastor who, when we would have any event, any, we'd go to a, like an Acquire the Fire kind of weekend event or summer camp or if we'd go on any retreat or trip or anything, the week before or maybe the month before, he would go and make the trip first. He would go there, make sure the hotel is actually there, the reservations are confirmed. He'd go and check out the church we were going to, confirm everything, make sure everything. He'd drive the path, make sure he, like he would go before us because he knew that he couldn't take us somewhere he had never been. So he wanted to go before us so then he could lead us to where he was taking us. That's wise leadership. But notice the fact that he leads us and we follow him means that he's not driving us. I don't know, whenever I get the picture of sheep and a flock of sheep, in my mind, I think of, I think of the guy who's behind the sheep. you got the sheep dog, and you got the guy behind the sheep who's just driving and yelling, and I'm just making a bunch of noise and getting the sheep to kind of driving them. That's not the idea. Jesus isn't coming behind us and driving us and forcing us. The point is that he doesn't force us to follow him. He's not like, he doesn't just want begrudging submission. Okay, God, I, I guess I have to. I don't really want to, but I, I, I will. You know, like he's not looking for begrudging submission. He wants you to willingly follow his leadership. He leads from the front. That's beautiful. Where has he taken us? Where has he guide us to? So he says, you know, the stranger... They will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. That's, that's important. He will go in and out and find a pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, that's one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of John. That's one I've been exploring the most is this idea of the abundant life that Jesus comes... So he's leading us, but he's calling us, he's guiding us to pasture. He's, he's guiding us to an abundant life, as opposed to what these religious leaders, he's calling them thieves and robbers and wolves. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What is the abundant life? What is the abundant life? Because this passage has been twisted to communicate that the abundant life means God wants you to have abundance of things. Or that God wants you to have an abundance of time. But the abundant life here doesn't mean a long life. It doesn't mean a long life. I mean, we all know 
people who've lived a long life who are miserable and bitter. They're not happy. I mean, we've also known Christians who've had short lives who love the Lord. It's not an abundance of, of time. It's not an abundance. It's not an easy life. It's not a comfortable life. We all know people who have plenty of things. They have plenty of comforts and money and wealth, but they're not happy. These things aren't bad, but that's not what he means. It's not what he means. See, what we've got to understand is, I would say, if, would you say maybe that, um, that Jesus had an abundant life? Would you say that the one who's leading us to an abundant life would have had an abundant life himself? Well, Jesus didn't have a long life, did he? He kind of got cut short. He didn't have an abundance of things. He was kind of poor. He, he said at times, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He uses a rock as a pillow sometimes. So, it can't mean that. I would say the abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. See, the abundant life is not more of my life. I just need more of my life, more of my stuff. I just need more abundance of my life. No, right? That's, like, that, that's just like going from the pan to the fire, isn't it? It's like, just, that's not good. I don't need more of my life. I need more of the life of Christ. That's what I need. I need an abundance of the life of Christ in my life. A life of joy and a life of contentment. I'm reminded of the 23rd Psalm. Maybe you're familiar with it. The Lord is my shepherd. When David's writing this, who do you think he's talking about? He's pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus. As Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's trying to connect himself to the David shepherd psalm. With, the Lord is my shepherd. And he says, I shall not want. I shall not want? What he's not saying is I have everything I've ever wanted so I don't have to want for anything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying I shall not want. I'm content. I'm satisfied in my relationship with Christ. I have joy. I have peace. I have everything I need for life. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides for me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I mean, this is sweet. Like Jesus, He provides for all the needs of your life. It's not an abundance of things. It's an abundance of satisfaction in Christ. I have no want. But then He goes on to say, he, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So this abundant life is a life of joy, it's a life of contentment, and it's a life of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. We don't naturally choose the right path, do we? Like left to ourselves, we always take the easy path. But Jesus, it says He leads us into the path of righteousness. We like sheep. We need to be led to do the right thing. Why does He do this? He leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. He's like, I'm doing this for my glory. I'm doing this for my purposes. I'm doing this for my namesake. 
Yeah, you're going to benefit because you're going to get the green pastures and you're going to get contentment and satisfaction. But our life is for His glory. So the Good Shepherd guides us into the abundant life, and the abundant life is a life of contentment and a life of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Steps of faith is for His glory. But how does He guide us? How does He guide us? Look back at verse 3. To Him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice. He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. But we hear His voice. He calls us by name. So what would happen is, um, so in the sheepfold, in a, in a village or a community, um, there, w- there might be several shepherds with several flocks who share the same fold, the same pen. And so you'd have different flocks who are being kept in uh, the same sheepfold, in the same pen. Now, do you think that the sheep in the different flocks, you think they would like this flock would neatly just stay over here and this flock would neatly stay over there and they'd just be identified clearly? No, of course, they mingle and they get mixed up and all of that. So how would the shepherd distinguish his sheep from all the others? Well, in the morning when it's time to go out to pasture, a shepherd would go to the, to the entry of the fold and he'd make a call, a distinct call or a whistle Or he'd sing a a song that his sheep knew. And and his sheep, all his sheep would come. And someone else's sheep would be left because they would only come to his call, to his voice. When I was, uh, when we were younger, my uh, granny, we'd be shopping with my granny and we'd be in a store and we'd be all in different places and we would just hear a, you know, like she'd whistle. I can't whistle like that, like with your pinkies. Like it was something that was taught in schools back then, I think, because I've only noticed that there's a certain generation that knows how to do that. And she'd whistle so loud, and all of us immediately knew, okay, Granny's calling, it's time to leave, you know? So we just, we just all start going towards the whistle, like little sheep. It's time to go. And that's the idea. Everybody knew. Those are my sheep. The thing that's different about what it says here is that it says that he calls them by name. They hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and they lead him out. So Jesus here doesn't make an impersonal mass call to follow him. He doesn't just whistle. It's not just one distinct sound and everybody come. It's not just one call. Because you can't come to Christ by just being a part of the right church or the right group or the right religion. He's not just like, as long as you're in the right place, you'll be called with all the other ones. No, he calls them by name. This call is personal and individual. He, um, I can imagine he'd probably be like, um, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. You know, like he's 
calling them by name. Is it too early for something like that? You know, we've had some cool weather recently, last couple days, and it's been nice. And it's just made me think of stuff like that. But more probably like Tom and Sandy and David and Linda. Like he's calling you by name. And if you are in Christ, if you're in the flock of God, he has your name written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows you by name. He knows you personally and intimately. And this is, this is the extent of this knowing. He says, I know my own and my own know me. We know the voice of God. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel like um, you're talking to God and you're not hearing him talk back to you? You ever feel like that? Just me? It's like, how do I hear the voice of the shepherd? How do I, how do I know that I um, hear God and know God? How do we hear his voice? Well, I think the Bible teaches that we can hear God in many ways. It talks about how we can hear God uh, with personal convictions or impressions from the Lord. I think the Spirit of God does that. That we can hear God through other people. Sometimes God uses people to speak to us. Um, sometimes God uses circumstances. He allows something to happen in your life and He's trying to say something to you. The Bible tells us that, you know, God speaks through visions and dreams, too. I think sometimes, um, sometimes we focus so much on those things, though, that we think we're not hearing from God. I'm really convinced the primary way that, that God speaks to His people is through His revealed Word. Right here. Like, yeah, He speaks to us in many ways, but I think the primary way that He wants to communicate to His people, His flock, He's given us right here. He's written us a letter. He's written us a book. And He wants us to know it. And whenever we try to just neglect God's Word and pursue all types of other kind of more subjective voices of God, we've got to remember that Second Peter tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy. And we would do well to take heed to it. That, that the Word of God, yes, there's other ways that God speaks, but the Word of God is the most sure way that He has spoken to us. And if you want to know the voice of the shepherd, you've got to get into His book. And I really believe that, if, that whenever you spend time in His Word, then you uh, are more equipped to hear His voice elsewhere. That whenever you know what He sounds like, objectively, this is what God is like. This is His character. This is who He is. And so then when I get an impression or a conviction or somebody says something to me, I will know. I will be sure. Is this Him? Is this Him? So, get in the Word. Get in the Word if we're going to know His voice and follow Him. So the Good Shepherd guides us and He leads us to the abundant life and, and, and then He guards us. The Good Shepherd guards us. Um, verse 7, he says, uh, he said again to them, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. So we have two I am statements. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John where John says, I mean, Jesus says, I am. Ego am I me. He's identifying himself with the burning bush. And whenever Moses said, 
you know, God, you, t- you tell me to go free these people from Egypt, but what, what am I, who am I to tell them sent me? He says, I am that I am. Jesus uses that language. I am God, but God as the good shepherd um, and God as the door. So he uses two of these I am statements in this one passage. I am the door. And so the sheep pens often would not have an actual door. And so the shepherd would lay down in the entranceway of the sheep pen and he would be the door. If you want to get to the sheep, you have to go through me, the shepherd would say. And he would sleep light to keep an ear out if anything was trying to climb over the wall of the sheep pen so that he could protect his sheep. He would protect them and lay down his life to protect them from predators and thieves and robbers. But notice that he is the door. He's not a door. He's not like, look, there's many doors on this sheep pen. I'm just one of them. No, he's saying, look, I am the door. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one enters into this flock except through me. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's through confessing him as the shepherd of your life. He says, all who, let's look look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You see it there? And, And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 8 says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Thieves are the idea of uh, deception and trickery. A thief, someone who deceives to steal from you. A robber is the idea of violence. And so it seems like he's he's saying that these, again, he's contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the day, that these religious leaders who are illegitimate, They're like thieves and robbers. They use deception and violence, if necessary, to keep their positions of power and of authority. Like they're willing to do whatever it takes because they're thieves and robbers. And ultimately, they're going to use violence against Jesus. They they, they, They cast this guy out of the synagogue. So he guides us. He guards us. He protects us, but what is He protecting us from? Is He protecting us from difficulty? Is He protecting us from uh, discomfort? What is this protection that He offers? You know, if Jesus intended um, to protect us, to guard us from every ailment of life, He's doing a pretty poor job, wouldn't you say? And I, I, mean, I, I mean, no disrespect to our Lord, but like, why do Christians still get cancer? People who know and love the Lord. Why do they still get cancer? Why do Christians still lose their jobs? Why, why, why do Christians still get in car accidents? Why do Christians still get sick, still get viruses? Why do Christians still stub their pinky toe on the corner of the bed? Why does that happen if He's going to guard us? Why do Christians 
still have their properties destroyed in hurricanes? Why do Christians still get persecuted in places like Afghanistan? Why does this happen if Jesus here promises that He's going to guard us and protect us? Because certainly He meant something more profound than He's going to give you an easy life. Certainly it's something different. What is He going to protect us from? Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, a wolf, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. So, he's like a hired hand, someone who doesn't own the sheep. <laughs> they see, you have someone who's hired to be a cashier at a gas station. Somebody comes in with a gun. They're like, take it all. I'll help you load it up. I'm not protecting any of this stuff. I'm making minimum wage. Like there's a hired hand is not interested in protecting the sheep. Whenever they see a wolf coming, they're like, I'm out of here because that wolf could get me. And my life is more valuable than the sheep who I've been paid to watch. But he says, I am the shepherd. I am going to guard you from these wolves. What are these wolves? Again, he's referring to these religious leaders. And he's calling them liars and false teachers. Um, people who know the Bible and sound really good, but lead you away from Jesus and to themselves. People who are more interested in building a personal platform than building the kingdom of God. And uh, that's who he's talking about. Actually, in Acts chapter 20, Paul warns the church at Ephesus of this. In Acts 20, uh, verse 28, so Paul planted this church at Ephesus. He's raised it up. He's established elders and leaders. And then he's leaving. He's like, let me give you some final instructions. And in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the church to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What kind of wolves is he talking about? And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So he says, look, wolves are people who are going to come into your church, are people who are going to come up from within your church. And they're going to, they're going to teach twisted things. They're going to be false teachers. Now, the thing about false teachers is they aren't like super detectable. They, they, they sound really good. They know a lot of Bible. They, he, he, like, but, um, but they're actually leading you away from God. What his main concern for is in our life is to protect us from eternal damnation. People who would lead you to hell while convincing you they're leading you to heaven. That's who he wants to guard us from. And so whenever he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, he's talking about your soul. I have come that you may have 
life and have it abundantly. This is the life in Christ. Watch out for these wolves who are going to come in and teach twisted things and be false teachers to try to lure you away from Jesus slowly but surely. I'm here to guard you from that. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. How does he guard us from this? He guards us from wolves by teaching us, um, by having us know him, and by being known by him. That the um, solution to falsehood is truth, isn't it? We combat uh, falsehood with truth. So he guards us. What links do you think he's willing to go through to guard us spiritually? The shepherd gives his life for us. So yeah, he guides us into an abundant life. He guards us from the dangers of wolves and thieves and robbers. But then he gives us his life. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18 he repeatedly says, I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. But who did he die for? Look at verse 16. I have, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who are they? I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You remember back in Ezekiel where he said, I'm going to give you one shepherd? One shepherd? Yeah, so he says, I have sheep from another fold. Who is this other fold? Man, people get really weird trying to determine what this other fold is, and they, there's all types of weird like conspiracy theories. Is this other fold people on other planets? Is that what he's talking about? He's talking about our fold is the people on earth, but then he has another fold. Maybe they're aliens on another planet. He's going to bring us all together. That's weird, guys. Don't believe that. Um, <laughs> look, he's talking to Jewish, a Jewish audience. All his followers at this point, they're, they're Jewish people. Um, he's talking in Jerusalem. Like, he's got a Jewish audience. He's talking to the people of God. And when he says, I have another flock of a different fold, he's talking about Gentiles, everyone who's not Jewish. It's pretty simple. Gentiles, which means he's talking about us. We are Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. Like, unless you're of Jewish lineage, you're a Gentile. So this is good news. He looks to the people of God who we're not included in, and he says, I have other people, I have another flock, another fold, and I'm going to bring them together, and there's going to be one shepherd and one flock, and we're all going to be together. The idea is he's talking to people who have been radical. The idea of adding Gentiles into the flock of God would have been ludicrous. Gentiles were considered unclean and different and other. And he says, look, no, but we're going to show sacrificial love to those who are different than us because God loves them too, and he wants them to be a part of this flock as well. And the flock of God is made up of all types of different people and different sheep. The idea here is that we're not in competition with other churches. 
Like, I think God gives local churches, local expressions of the body of Christ to grow and serve and build up His kingdom. And I'm grateful that different churches have different flavors, right? We're not bound by just one style of things. And there's maybe different little folds that gather around the world, but we're all in one flock together. And so we're not in competition with one another. We can pray and love others, but I think it's also the idea that he he expects us to be a part of the flock. He expects us to be involved and engaged and surrounded by the flock. Like we can't follow Jesus and not be in the flock of God. We can't say, I love Jesus and I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I hate organized religion. He's like, no, a flock is pretty organized. There's a structure and a sheepfold and there's a leader and there's organization and there's you're in the flock, you're out of the flock. Like, yeah, he expects you to be a part, an active participant in the flock of God because you know a sheep who's out on their own, balancing through life. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. There's no shepherd to guard them from wolves, he says. The biblical picture of this protection, this giving of his life, is the idea of David. And uh, David in the Old Testament um, was a shepherd uh, before he became the king. And whenever um, he uh, was visiting his brothers at battle, bringing them some lunch he's like hey guys what's going on they said well you know there's this Goliath out there and he's wanting to battle somebody but no one's strong enough to go up against the giant and so he's like well I'll do it I'll do it now David was a small person compared to compared to uh, the warriors of the day and so the king Saul at the time looks at David and says Okay, David, you're going to go out there and he's going to kill you. And he's just going to squanch you and then he's going to kill all of us. So that's probably not a good idea. And David responds to him by giving him his resume. Let me tell you about some things that I've done as my time as a a shepherd. And so this is in uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 34. He says... um, But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. What? And if he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Way to go, David. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of lion and from the paw of bear will deliver me from the hands of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. Okay. The the picture here, as 
Jesus being the true and better David and the whole Goliath story being the giant of sin and death and Jesus as David defeating that, man, the picture here is of a shepherd who has a flock and when a bear or a lion or a wolf comes and attacks the flock and seeks to kill the flock, he goes, he runs towards the danger, he grabs him and protects the sheep and then defeats the predator. And David here obviously survived these encounters. They must have been doing more than CrossFit back then in order to be strong enough to defeat a bear. <laughs> Barehanded. But that's the picture of our Lord as the shepherd of us, his flock, if you're in Christ. He goes after the enemy of our souls and he defeats it. And he gives up his life for the sheep. He gave his life to save the life of his sheep. Now when you see what he did to give us eternal life, then all the trials of this world kind of pale in comparison, don't they? We talked about earlier how he's not just interested in just giving us an easy life, and whenever we see all that he's done for us eternally, it's like, man, th these things kind of not so bad. Like if you sprain your wrist because somebody pushed you out of the way and gave their life by pushing you out of the way of a train, you're not going, man, my wrist. Like you're not complaining very much about the wrist, are you? Because of the immense sacrifice that was given to save your life. Even kind of uh, Apostle Paul in Romans 8.11 says, I'm sorry, 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That what God accomplished for us on the cross is so massive that everything I have to go through in this life, every difficulty, pales in comparison. It's not worthy to be compared to the riches and glory that we will experience in eternity. He died in our place for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. It's not like he died and, then, and was a victim and stayed dead. He rose from the grave. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So he's like, look, no one's taken my life from me. The devil didn't win over on Jesus and kill him. He gave his life up. On the cross it says he gave up his spirit and breathed his last. He gave it up. But Anyone can give up their life for another, can't they? You have the capacity to do that. I'm sure if, if a thief or a robber came into your house at night, you would have the capacity, God willing, to give up your life, if necessary, to protect your family. I think you could do that. But what we can't do is take it up again. 
Okay, we don't have that authority. Jesus has that authority, and that's quite a bold thing to say. I'll lay down my life, we all get that, but then I'm going to take it up again. Like, that's quite bold. I think it's uh, Dizzy Dean that said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. It's not, it's not bragging, it's not like, it's a, yeah, I mean, like, if you can do it, if you can accomplish it. He gives his life for us. There's only one good shepherd. His name is Jesus. He guides us into the abundant life. He gave his life to guard us and protect us from predators, from sin, from judgment, and from death. And he rose and continues to shepherd his sheep today because he is victorious and a risen shepherd. Question to you is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? He has two responses here. Some people are like, he's insane. He's demon-possessed. And another group is like, I don't, think, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's telling the truth. So that's the choice that you have to make. He's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to follow him. But if he's calling your name, I encourage you the best life is a life in Christ. Because no matter what we go through in this life, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I'll have contentment and joy and peace because I know the shepherd's with me. And he hasn't left me. He won't forsake me. He'll get me through this. The valley's not the destination. He's going to guide me to the abundant life. He's going to guard me from, from the enemy. And he's going to give his life for me. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, um, for our time in your word today. God, but I do thank you for uh, being a good shepherd. I thank you that you care for us, that this, this uh, figure of speech, this picture that you've given us of you being a good shepherd is a beautiful picture of someone who um, loves and cares for a flock. I thank you that you've called us, all types of different diverse people, to be a part of your flock. I pray that the Holy Spirit would call more today. That if we've never trusted you, if we've never surrendered to you as Lord, as shepherd, as leader of our life, that we would do that today. God, that as you say, that we do not follow the voice of strangers, but we follow the voice of the shepherd, that we would leave behind our old way of things and come to you. I pray that we'd admit that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I need a Savior. I need someone to guard me and protect me and lead me and guide me. And I pray that we'd do that today. God, I pray that you'd save somebody today, that they'd hear your voice, they'd hear your call, and that they'd respond to it. I pray that every day you'd help us to just lean into your voice and uh, listen to you to guide us through life. I pray that you'd comfort us in our affliction. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand up, uh, our benediction today is going to be out of Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23, I think it's fitting for us to just remind ourselves of this beautiful shepherd psalm as we leave here today that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His 
name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Goodbye, y'all. Love you. See you next week.